Hi friends, welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher and life coach. It is my goal in life to reframe the way that we understand trauma. And I think if we want to understand trauma, we need more stories, more examples, an archive of trauma stories. But not just an archive where someone lays their story down for posterity and walks away, an archive that gives them something back, some attunement, some empathy, a reframe, integration, maybe some little piece of knowledge or understanding so that they walk away feeling like the thing that makes the least sense in their lives makes just a little more sense. This podcast is that archive. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week, we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal without shame. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and join us. Welcome to the Trauma Tapes. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good. Do we talk about the weather? It's been crazy weather. (laughs) Dude. Well, I have the funny story of like, this is the worst storm. Like I had power, I think three of the seven days last week because we had the worst storm that's ever hit this area in, in the hit since they started recording weather or whatever. But I didn't know that until I saw it in the news because I was like, it's raining. What is the problem? Like, (laughs) was it like a bomb cyclone bombastic with all those names and all that craziness? A cyclonic river, atmospheric <laughs> rain time, hurricane. It's okay. Cool. Uh, it was pretty. So crazy. just like massive wind and rain and stuff. Yeah. And it was like the town, there's like a Creek in the town and it, um, it was dry. And then it all of a sudden had like 50, I think we got 17 feet or no inches of rain, but the Creek like flooded and like a lot of the businesses, it was, it was crazy for sure. And power went out because it just always goes out. (laughs) Um, but, um, it was, I mean, it was just kind of like, it was having lived in like both hurricane land and the Northeast. It's just like, okay. You know, like, yeah. And I think when you're not like, if you don't listen to what's going on, not that you should be ignorant, you know, then it's just like, Oh, I opened the door and it's rainy windy and whatever. Like, okay, I'm going to put on my raincoat and my galoshes and like, go, go on with my day, you know, to the store. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just, yeah, it's been crazy. But the good news is that that ends fire season, which is awesome. So yay, the Dixie is finally out and now we're in the clear. Good. Yeah. We had, um, pretty horrific wind and rain the past couple of days. Um, I think they were saying the same thing that like the South shore and the Cape Cod has never seen like wind. It was like 80 miles an hour, That's insane. You know, which is kind of scary, but I know there was like a truck that got blown over on the bridge and like, Oh, really? Yeah. I think That's everyone was scary. okay. Was, like, terrifying. I know. I saw this video thing and I was like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. You'll never want to go over a bridge again. I know. I don't want this in my memory stores. This is no thanks hadn't thought of that as a possibility yeah. to be afraid of. Add that to the list. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. But yeah, it's, it's been nuts. This is a weather podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about weather on opposite coasts and <laughs> how shitty it is. <laughs> Fun today, like feels like fall, which I really like, like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of dreary and cold, but it's, I don't know. I like bundling up cozy. Totally. Yes. Scarves and hats and accessories and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, 
follows I mean, the best. February, I want, I want to like jump off a bridge, but for now right. it's fine. Because February, that's a different thing. Like it's not the same. Right. <laughs> it's like dark as fuck and sad and gray and like always doing something terrible. And it's been doing that for like eight months. And it's like, no, October is just like, oh, it's delightful. It's a little dark out. How cozy, you know, right, right. light a candle. <laughs> right. I'm going to carve a pumpkin. Woo-hoo. <laughs> You're right. By February, it's like, if I have to put on this fucking down coat, like one more day, I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> Remember those ridiculous long ones that we had? Oh my God. I know those were like sleeping bags. <laughs> we're like walking around in sleeping bags. Basically you could just lie down and like take a nap. <laughs> I remember mine was black. Did you have the black one too? Do we all have black ones? Like a bunch of doofuses. <laughs> yeah. The North face, the like, yeah. this went down like to your ground. Yeah. It went, <laughs> went to your ankles. <laughs> but I remember in New York, like, because you could only waddle because the thing goes to your ankles, you know? So I'm like waddling around in this coat, looking ridiculous anyway. And then I slipped on some ice, black ice in the street and fell. And I was in the middle of the street, like not a good spot to be like lying on the yeah. ground. And this poor man was trying to help me up. And I was laughing so hard because I just thought like, I must look like a penguin, like waddling down the road. That's like not safe if you think about it, you know, because like if something happened and you had to run away, you couldn't. <laughs> Hold on, let me. I always felt that way zipper. about high heels. Oh my like, god! If I'm yes. wearing high heels and I need to like haul ass and get out of the way, like I'm not going to be able to. <laughs> yep, that's why I don't wear them. I, it's probably says a lot about me that I think that way. But <laughs> what if no, there's I... an emergency and I need to run? Because <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh, yeah they don't make those coats that long anymore i think probably for safety reasons <laughs> there's closed caption video of me somewhere in front of some bodega <laughs> penguin girl around on the street like a oh, yeah. fish <laughs> okay anyway <laughs> so we don't have a letter this week but we do have a topic. Do you want to start it off since I haven't seen the. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been curious about these things that I'm, you know, of course I'm watching all the television in the world because that's, you know, nobody's going to leave do, the no? house anymore. So you got to watch everything that's out there. <laughs> um, and there's two shows that have, that I've watched recently and they kind of leave me with the same question. And um, I don't think these are spoiler alerts because they're not really related to the to the rest of the plot of the show. But mm-hmm. one is Mayor of Easttown and the other, I think, was on Netflix. And it's a series. It's Marcella, Marcella, Marcella. Um, so if you do want to watch either one of those and you don't want to know what happens, then change the channel. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> both of those shows had and Mayor of Easttown with Kate Winslet was fabulous um she's so good I've always thought that they both both characters main characters in these shows have lost children Mm. um you know Kate Winslet's son committed suicide in the house her Mm. character's son Mm. committed suicide in the in their house hung himself in the attic and then the Marcella show the the child she lost was a baby and um it looks like a kind of a 
what is it shaken baby syndrome yeah yeah like she she actually wound up killing the child by accident but both of these series kind of that's an underlying thing throughout mm-hmm. everything that happens in their lives and they both end and and they're both in therapy both characters are, are in therapy and they're very um unwilling to kind of talk about the event or recognize what happened Mm -hmm. and they both kind of end in this like very dramatic way Mm -hmm. with one is through hypnosis and one is through just talk therapy Mm -hmm. with returning to the exact moment physically and mentally Mm -hmm. where the traumatic thing happened Mm -hmm. the suicide and the the baby and i'm wondering about the importance of returning mm-hmm. to that event in such a graphic way mm-hmm. and why it seems to be glorified for lack of a better word mm-hmm. in these instances. Yeah. And I don't know if it's dramatic effect, but um I don't know. You know, I, I've shared with you in the past when I um, went to that mind body Institute in Boston, like one of the first thing, one of the things that they said that it always stuck was with me was you have to limit the number of times you revisit a traumatic event mm-hmm. because your body doesn't know the difference mm-hmm. between yeah. experiencing the event or thinking about the event. Yeah. And in my own, you know, my own personal experience, you know, the, the last hours with mom before she died, you know, I was alone with her and it was, those were images that haunted me for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, I felt that I only got to like a place of peace Mm -hmm. when I was able to let go of them. Mm -hmm. But every time I thought about them, it was distress and panic and, and, yeah. horrific feelings again. So does that make sense? I'm wondering like why this seems important in these yeah. fictitious examples, but is that yeah. the thing? Is it important? Is it yeah. necessary? So that's a great question. I'm pulling up the, de- the I want to see exactly how it's worded in the DSM um, in a second, which I should have done before. Um, but the, the, so that this is a great question and the answers of course, like really complicated and there's a lot to say. Um, but the short answer is that it depends. And okay. for some people returning can be very integral to their healing. And for other people returning can be the absolute opposite. One of the things That's that makes treatment of trauma so tricky is that it really depends on the person and where they're feeling distress and in what way. Um, but this idea of returning is, is in the symptoms of PTSD. Um, so the third, so the DSM is, is split into, um, symptom clusters and you have to meet a certain number of, uh, the symptoms in order to be diagnosed officially. And the third one in PTSD is avoidance. So it says avoidance of trauma-related stimuli after the trauma in the following way or ways. Uh, one is trauma-related thoughts or feelings, and the second is trauma-related external reminders. So 
in the example that you were talking about, about the last couple of hours that you spent with mom, you're returning to these memories. You're having these thoughts and feelings and returning to those over and over again. The avoidance of remembering at all would be a symptom of pathology. You know what I mean? And so if I wasn't able, so if those were not coming up for me, right at all, the fact that they came up and they were vivid and upsetting is actually part of the integration process. Your brain was trying to categorize those things and kind of cope with them because they were too overwhelming to do what the brain needs to do in order to put things away in the moment. Okay. Interesting. So you were going through the healing process of trauma when you were going through that. And the reason I think the mind body Institute, um, says to be careful of how many times you revisit that in your mind is because if you're revisiting it in a way that doesn't allow for integration, you're just re-traumatizing yourself. Okay. Right. So even that is complicated. Like how do you know if you're revisiting it and you're integrating or revisiting it and just feeling it again, sometimes these things become, uh, there's like a compulsive aspect to trauma memory and we sometimes I think visit and over visit memory as a way to like pick a scab open Mm -hmm. and it's out of compulsion, right? Like it's coming Mm -hmm. from the, it's almost like a force that comes from some somewhere else. Freud called it like a demonic force. He didn't understand that. What is this compulsion that we have to repeat the memory, to repeat the thing? Um, And it's, it's important to like, so you see how specific this is. It really depends on the situation when it comes to avoidance of, of like spaces. That's also really tricky because you can avoid in a really healthy way. Like you can say, I'm not, I have no reason. So just to use us as an example, I have no reason to go back to the town that we grew up in. I have like, I live across the country from there. I don't have friends there anymore. My last friend, actually her parents just sold her house. And like, there's no reason to go back to that town. Hmm. So I'm not causing any distress in my life by avoiding that stimuli. Now, if I can't be around, like sometimes the avoidance starts to spread through your life and cause widespread distress. If I can't be in a town that's a suburb because we grew up in a suburb, if I can't be near houses that are Tudor houses, like if, if it starts to attach to other things and I'm avoiding things in a way that's causing a problem in my life that's, that's going to start to cause distress. And so I need to work through that in order to, um, to heal. We had it wrong. This is really important when we in like, I say we like it's me, but like the field of psychology had it wrong. When we assumed that in order to heal from something, you have to expose yourself to it over and over and over again to create desensitization. This is the theory that's behind prolonged exposure therapy which I believe is torture and not therapeutic in most cases. I think it works in some cases. And I know that there are some practitioners that practice it in a way that's, you know, compassionate, but I've heard many stories and had many clients and have done research studies on the negative impacts of exposing yourself to a trauma over and over and over again in the hopes to get at desensitization. But what you end up getting is just, is just worse trauma. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, I think there are these, these tropes in the media of, of PTSD and they're both good and bad because they're raising awareness that PTSD is real and legitimate and that's important, but they're also really limiting. Right. So if I, if I asked you just like off the top of your head, what, what is a trope 
that comes up when it comes to veterans who are have who have PTSD. Like when the car backfires, they hide yeah. under the bed. Right. Not a super common thing, actually. Right. Right. But you know, right. it's it's something you can depict really vividly in um in film. And so it's been used over and over and over and over again. And it doesn't and it's not aimed, I don't think, to capture the entirety of the experience, but I think sometimes as like spectators, we, we take that in as like, oh, this is trauma. You know what I mean? Same thing with like, what's the trope that comes up with the sexual assault survivor? I don't know. <laughs> you didn't watch as many after school movies as I did. <laughs> no. What is it? The like sitting in the shower, being obsessed with cleanliness oh. and not, uh, not, and being so hypervigilant that you can't have touch at all. Yeah. There's also the one about like, this is horrible, but like gaining a lot of weight or, or like Mm -hmm. creating a physical barrier. Right. Which that, and that is that these are all real things that happen, but it's also like when it comes to sexual assault, often, um, survivors become, they, they kind of lean the other way and try to take their sexuality back by having a lot of sex. It's not that they completely become like untouchable and they can't, they jump at the, right. So it's like, there are these depictions, but we have to understand that the depictions are limited and limiting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, this idea of returning to the scene of the crime, like the thing we have to be careful of is, is the assumption that that's necessary because right. it really isn't. It's the same thing underneath. Like I've seen a lot of people in the last couple of years say that they, they feel like they have some vague idea that they have trauma from their childhood that they don't remember. And so they want to go and take ayahuasca to try to discover it. Yeah. You don't need to, you don't need to like, that's right. just, it's a myth. Psychedelics can be incredibly useful and helpful for the symptoms of PTSD, but not because you're revisiting. Well, you're not trying to excavate something that. No. You know. And you can heal without excavation. And the reason we know that is because we, we have people who have brain injuries that make it impossible to access the part of their memory that they would need to in order mm-hmm. to get to that. And they heal, right? Trauma, yeah. the, the kind of merciful and also torturous thing about trauma is that it comes out in your present behavior in ways that are unmistakable. So if it's there, it's there and it will right. provide an opportunity to come out and be healed. And the need to relive it is not necessary. No. And in fact, like, I think, I mean, it might be right. I don't want to say like, no wholeheartedly, but, um, it could be a very, I'm trying to think of a good example of like a client or something I've seen recently, but it can be really healing in a certain circumstance to return to a scene of the crime because it can be empowering. You can take your power back. Right. By showing up as your current self in a space where you weren't able to stand up for yourself in the past, for example, you know? Right. Oh, you know, what's a great example of this is, um, shit. What's the name of that movie? Remember Daryl Hannah from SNL? I know who you're talking about. Wait. Yeah. Daryl Hannah's the woman. Daryl Hammond. Sorry. That's okay. Close. (laughs) He did this movie that's brilliant. It's called cracked up. Um, and it's about his, um, like brilliant. He, um, had an incredibly traumatic childhood and then adapted, you know, pretty beautifully and was incredibly successful, except for the fact that his life was falling apart behind the scenes. 
And he was diagnosed, misdiagnosed with like seven things um, before he finally was in a rehab uh, institute where there was a trauma specialist and who said like, listen, you don't have these other seven things. You have PTSD. And through, so the documentary kind of documents his care with this doctor and what happens. And at the end of the movie, again, spoiler alert, but like it's a documentary, so whatever. Um, he goes back to the scene of his most traumatic memory, which is his house when he was like five, but he okay. goes there from the perspective of like showing himself that this space doesn't have power over him anymore and that he right. can, he can go there and be himself and he's an adult and he's taking care of himself and he's continuing to do so. And like, it's a really beautiful end to the film because you see him in this space being like, oh, wow, I can't, you know, I, I didn't remember the light looked like this and this other stuff. And like, he's kind of returning to the scene of the crime to kind of show himself how much, how far he's come. Okay. Not to pick the wound, you know? Right. That's the difference between like doing it for a reason that's rooted in pathology versus doing it for a reason that's rooted in healing. So it was an intention. Yeah. And the intention is that he, he's, he's going into it willingly to show himself that he, he's empowered now he's safe. Right. Versus I have to go back here to pick this wound, to feel it again, to relive, to open the portal, you know? Okay. It's hard to like draw parameters around because it really depends on the situation. But I would say that like, if you're in a situation and you're avoiding something and the avoidance of that thing is causing a problem then it's worth figuring out an inroads to processing whatever that problem is. And that may involve returning in some way in memory or physically to a place, but it also may not. And that's fine. So it could be the beginning of integrating. Yeah. Or the end of integrating. Yeah. Those memories. Right. Right. So like with the, Kate Winslet character that could just be her symbolic of her coming to terms with her son's suicide. Yeah. And truly like leaving it there, leaving it behind, you know? Right. Or it could be that she's, because did you say she's leaving? Like she's sold the house or something. She's like, Oh no. She just goes back. Yeah. Yeah. But she's pretty much like blown up her life in the meantime. So Yeah. It's tricky. It is tricky. And I also remember, and I'm really dating myself at this point, but I remember a 60 minute story a long time ago about um, some kind of drug that they were coming up with that could enable like rape survivors to forget Mm -hmm. those. And I don't know what came of it. I don't know if it worked. I don't, but it was Mm -hmm. something that tripped their, um, brain chemistry or wiring. So they didn't continue to be haunted by the specific memory. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's, it's case by case. Like you said, it depends. Yeah. Right. I don't, I don't know what happened. I remember that it's like from the nineties or something, but I don't remember what happened to it. I know (laughs) it was a long time ago, right? It doesn't work. Like you can't, it's not how it's, I, I assume the, the things you can do that are really hopeful are if you narrate because of the way that memory consolidation works, the initial memory file gets created between four and 24 hours after the event. 
So mm-hmm. if, if you narrate the event really intentionally with a professional within the four to 24 hour period, it's much more likely to be easier to integrate than if you don't do that. And so there've been some studies in emergency rooms and things like that, where they test the likelihood of PTSD after a terrorist attack or something like that. And they've found that that's really effective. There are ways to make the memory haunt you less. I don't think there are ways to forget. I could be wrong yeah, about yeah. that. I'll look into the drug. It could be a thing. I haven't heard of it. No, I'm really sure we point. would have heard about it. Right. The idea that they were trying to develop it at that point right. was interesting, right. you know. I used to get that question a lot. Like when I would give a paper or something, like people would say like, well, what are you going to do when there's a pill? And I was like, what? I mean, I'll study something else. It's not a big deal, but there's not going to be a pill. That's not how it works. Well, right. And then the trauma is in your body. So the pill is not going right. to take care of every single way that it manifests. Right, you know? right, right, right. Yeah. That's not selective. No. I mean, if it ever gets to that point, I'll eat my shoe gladly, but like, we're not there. So let's deal with this, you know? <laughs> right. Well, thank you for clarifying that. It's just, it's interesting. There's a, there's another like aspect of this. There's just one last thing to say is that like, this always comes up in my head is the, these examples of people who revisit, um, like recreate things without yes. intending to do so. Yes. Right. So there, Bessel van der Kolk has an example in the body keeps the score. And I think a couple more in his other book before that traumatic stress from the late nineties, um, where he talks about people who recreate a scene of a literal crime on the actual anniversary of that crime without having cognitive memory of what happened. And they'll, they'll do it like 10 years in a row. And so it's like, you know, George, like, could you not continue to get into a shootout with the police on August 14th every year? Like what is happening? You know? Right. And right. (laughs) Because you're the thing that's behind all of this is the brain's compulsion need desire, whatever to understand and file away the thing that was too overwhelming to file away in the first place. And so that's the like opening. It's like, okay, the brain is trying to do this. It's doing this for a reason. How can we do that in a way that's less upsetting where you can get to the point of, as you said before, like not reliving over and over again, but remembering, integrating, putting it away, relating to it differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, if the compulsion is there to return and you feel like that's really important, go deeper and figure out what, what is there? Are you feeling like you need to return because this is a trope and people talk about it and you haven't been back to the scene of the crime just because of circumstances? Mm, I don't know. I need something more compelling than that. You know, right. If, if you're doing it to pick the wound, you're causing yourself further trauma. If you're doing it to integrate, make sure that that's what's actually happening. Yep. And stop doing weird drugs with shady people as a way to like recover your past because it's not necessary. Do shady drugs with shady people for other reasons. Well, do, do shady drugs with good people. maybe. Right. <laughs> Try and leave the shady people out of it. <laughs> do good drugs with good people for good reasons. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we could get, we could get merch. Good drugs with good people. So you can be safe. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm glad you brought this up because it's a great question. And it's, it's always interesting to look at what's being depicted in the media 
and like figure out like, wait, what is, is this accurate? Is this like how this, cause there've been some really beautiful examples, really well done um, examples of depictions of trauma symptoms and trauma, traumatic events and all that kind of stuff. And, and then others where you're just like, yeah, no, that's not a thing. Yeah. So it's obviously not a one size fits all. Yeah. Situation. It's one of the things that makes trauma like kind of endlessly fascinating because the symptoms are really slippery and really specific and dependent on the situation. And we see this all the time with our letter writers of like, we, we need all the context in order to like say anything about it because it's, there's so much that matters. Each little aspect makes a difference, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. I have to watch both, both of those shows. I've only seen a, an episode or two of the mayor of Easttown, but I liked it. Yeah. It's really good. She's awesome. Yeah. She's really good, but I don't know the other one at all. That's like three. I wouldn't bother with that one. That's okay. like too long. It's kind of dark and weird, but okay. You know what I started watching the other day that was absolutely bananas. And I don't know if I can finish it. What? It's called the way down. I think. Oh no. What's that? It's a documentary series on, I think it's on HBO about um, this woman, Gwen Shamblin Lara, which is, she founded a diet program slash Christian cult. Oh, Jesus. Which is, it's just like freaking fascinating. I haven't even heard about that. The whole cult thing is fascinating. I know. I can't like, yeah. Remember when I called you and asked you if you were in a cult? (laughs) I do. I was just talking about pretty recent. (laughs) Like you would tell me (laughs) or you would know. Yes, I am. Help. (laughs) Call your sister. You're in a cult. (laughs) Oh God. I'm not in a cult. Although like I, there was a woman who did a Ted talk. um, Her name is Karen Kelsky on academia as a cult. And it's a hundred percent. I like at the first, in the beginning of the Ted talk, I was like, Oh, like what a cute, like use of, you know, punchy language or whatever. <laughs> like she can't actually <laughs> mean like, oh, shit. that academia as a cult. And then like 10 minutes in, I was like, fuck, like, <laughs> I'm in a cult. <laughs> this is what mom worried about. Like it happened. <laughs> oh God. Well, just the, yeah. I mean, she went down the list and it was like, you know, makes you doubt your self-esteem, makes you move to a location based on absolutely no reason. Like all these things where you're just like, oh, wow. Yep. Check. Check, 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 check. Um, <clears throat> okay. Do you want to talk about COVID habits or do you have a tiny little joy? Let's do tiny little joys. Okay. What's yours? Mine is um, those blue pumpkins that are out in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have those? <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't have blue pumpkins? They're like kind of like a really light green blue color. <laughs> I don't think so. What? They're fabulous. <laughs> what? what? Are they like blue on purpose? Are they painted blue? Like, do they grow blue? No, they're not. They're, they grow blue. They're like a really pale, like blue green color. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I'm really not like an autumnal decor person yeah. at all. Like I'm not a big mum person or orange pumpkins are not really my thing, but I like to have, I like white pumpkins and I like blue pumpkins. 
So that's what I have on my front steps. <laughs> Blue pumpkins. I have to write this down. I would have sent you a picture. I had no um, idea. That's so funny. Yeah, they're kind of like the anti-pumpkin, and it like makes me happy. <laughs> Did that? They're you always pretty- like to, you appreciate disruptors. It's like the disruptor pumpkin. I do. <laughs> I do. It's not the traditional pumpkin. It's a little off, it's but a little, um, off. little alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Did but dad hate so mums? I hate mums more than like, and they oh. make me angry. Do you know what I hate? <laughs> like they upset me. Sunflowers. I oh, yeah. hate them. <laughs> They're like big and scary. And I hate them. They It really like makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I also hate <laughs> when someone puts a big giant clock on the wall <laughs> in their house. <laughs> It makes me nervous when the clock is that big. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I've always hated it. <laughs> and like that, yeah. what's her name? Chip and Joanna, like all her things. She has like a giant clock on the wall. I can't stand it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you know what else I hate? We have friends, Molly and Al, and we keep a running list of a, on our phone because Al is like hysterical and it's a, th- a list of things that Al hates and we add to it every time we see each other. What else does Al, Al hate? I just have to take my my vest off because I was laughing so hard. Um, the one that comes to <laughs> the lot, well, he hates when people wear um like, I don't know if they, if this is a new England thing, but like what they call like a hockey Jersey or a football Jersey, a sweater, like a hockey sweater. He hates that. He hates when people wear like the gear. And the last one he told us about is <laughs> when someone's on the plane going from like a warm locate or cold location to a warm location and they change in the bathroom into shorts. He hates that. Who does that on a plane? Who changes on a plane? I don't know. Barely he's seen it. But he hates it. This is tiny little joy section. We're turning it into. <laughs> no, but it's kind of funny. Shit we hate. No, it's so funny. The big clog thing makes me laugh. Why is that disturbing? It's disturbing. Is it disturbing to you or is it just me? No, it's disturbing to me for sure. That's one of the reasons I'm laughing. I hate that. I never like thought about it explicitly, but it's like the worst. Because it's like time running out, but in like a giant format. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's terrible. But there's something, it's almost like, horror movie like or something like the scale of it is off in a way that's like yeah like sunflowers they're just too big like (laughs) they shouldn't be that big (laughs) they kind of remind me of those things in um stranger things do you know what i'm talking about yeah like the like the things that open yeah 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 and they're like on stalks and they're so ugly i hate them sorry (laughs) You know what else I hate? <laughs> no, start doing a list. It's kind of funny. I'm going to random little things. Things that drive you crazy. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is superfluous mouth noises. Yeah. You've always hated that. <laughs> I have like a problem. It's like, I like, and I go insane. Like I can't think like it's, yeah. it's a whole thing. Um, 
But I, I hate when it. people like are eating and they turn the fork upside down to put the food in their mouth. <laughs> like, why do you do that? <laughs> why, why do they do that? What is the, I don't know. Put it right side up. Like, why do you like have to like, <laughs> you're just trying to be cool and weird and quirky. <laughs> I don't, but you see it a lot. Like a lot of people do it and like, they're good, nice people. There's nothing wrong with them. But like, when I see it, I'm like, Oh my God. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get more from the list. I think Brent has it on his phone. Okay. Pretty funny. Oh yeah. We should return to this for a spooky season is like the things of list of things we hate. I can't think of any. That's good. No, I'm sure I have like a thousand anyway. Okay. What's your tidy little joy? Um, that I finished the first draft of the book and it's amazing. That's Thank a you. huge joy. It's so exciting. It's a little scary, but it's, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. So I have a book coming out next year. I don't know if we've talked about this with sounds true publishing about, um, trauma. And so it's like stories of clients and, um, kind of reframing the way that we talk about trauma in a bunch of different ways. Um, and it was so fun to write and it's super exciting to have a book in the like more in the public. Cause I have two academic books, but they're, you know, academic presses are crazy expensive and no one reads that stuff. So this is exciting. Yeah, this is more mainstream. Yeah. So it's amazing. It's surreal. I have to send it. I have to actually, this is my thing. Like I have to actually send it now. Like it's done. I have to send it. And it's like, yeah. I keep being like, oh, but wait, but I have to do this and I have to add this and I have to do this. And I added, you want to know, this is a tiny little joy. I added a funny story about dad at the end. What'd you add? That um, when I lost my bunny yeah, in like, I was like eight or something like that in a hotel room. I had this bunny that I had since I was a baby that I like, it was my like thing, my buddy. And, um, it wasn't even a bunny. Anymore. It wasn't even a bunny anymore. That's, and that's in the book too. But I was, this was like this big loss and I was really bereft about it and couldn't sleep because, you know, when you have a thing that's in your bed, when you're from, when you're a baby to not, you know, eight, that's your whole entire life. And so dad, I, you know, dad would read me a story. I would get in bed, dad would read me a story. And then I would get back up like 20 minutes later and go downstairs. And I was just sad. And dad would sit with me Aww. with like, he would pour a little rocks glass with like a tiny bit of ginger ale. Mm-hmm. and sit with me. And we would just like sit next to each other at the kitchen table. Like we were at a bar, you know, <laughs> like discussing the loss and like what it meant. And like, sometimes just sort of sitting with it and other times being like, okay, do you, are you supposed to replace the bunny? Like, are you supposed to get a new one? Do you not get a new one? Uh, is that disrespectful? Like, I remember like having all these like worries. I was such a weird kid and, uh, it's not surprising at all. And I remember distinctly like realizing like that when I decided these little, these little bar drinks were going to be over. And that was kind of sad in itself. And it was just like, you know, dad was, he had six kids. He had a dental practice. He had come home from work. This is probably the first moment alone that he had to like calm down and relax since six in the morning. And he never like said it was time to get over it or like buck up kid, you know, it was just like, we're going to sit here and do this as long for as many nights as we need to. And it could have been like 50 nights or like four. I have no idea. Right. It made a huge impact. That's amazing. Yeah. I just thought it was a funny story. It's like the first time you like integrated like 
yeah. you had to integrate those memories and that loss. You totally. Know? That's exactly what I wrote. And I was like, I think sometimes people are like, how do you spend so much time in the darkness? You know? Cause like, I'm not a dark person. I'm not like a goth, like no. <laughs> at all, <laughs> not at all, not nothing against goths. It's just not my thing. Um, and I never have been. So sometimes people are like, how do you like talk about trauma all day, every day for like 12 years? And it's like, well, because I think like, I'm not really scared of that darkness. Cause you know, the first time I ever experienced it, dad was just there. Like, yeah, this is dark. Here's what we do. We sit with it yeah, until, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And you were given the space to, right. to feel what you needed to feel. Right. And process it and <coughs> move forward in, in a, in the time that was right. You know, that's the same that you um, talked about with your was it a principal in middle school or a teacher yeah. that let you do that too? Like, yeah, just gave you the room and the space to kind of sit in the yep. pain. Yep. And just be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why you do what you do now. That's amazing. I know. It's crazy. The little, like the P I think we think a lot about the people who like hurt us and harmed us and didn't do the right thing, but we need to spend equal time thinking about the people who were holding flashlights, you know, cause no. 100%. They're equally formative. They're hugely formative. That's like whenever you hear like a success story, like yep. it, it always goes back to that one person or more than one person that um, mm -hmm. showed an interest or, yep. you know, yeah. Totally. I was thinking that's about good. my, I'm glad you added that. Yeah. That's funny. I was thinking about my, um, kindergarten teacher, Miss Skolsky, because she posted, she's friends with me on Facebook and she posted a picture of our first grade class oh. on my birthday, which was last week. And, uh, I was thinking like, man, she made me love school. Like she made school feel like a safe place. Who would I be? Who on earth would I be? Right. If I didn't love school, like, right. Life-changing, life-changing. Totally. Totally. Anyway, that's, I feel like a handful of tiny little joys, big, great joys, but yeah. That's good. What's the thing? Rate, review, <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> Please. I can't, I can't remember this list of three things to save my life. <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the places. And yeah, that's really helpful. We have yeah. some great reviews in iTunes, which I didn't even know until the other day, which are really fun to read. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to check those out. <clears throat> okay. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.